0: Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. Sponsored by Tech Help Boston.
1: I've always been a big believer in the power of stories, and that's what this show is all about. When we share the stories of our lives, we pass along life lessons and wisdom. In the spotlight, director Kim Weald. When I learned that this bold, visionary director was coming to Boston with a production called American More here at the gorgeous Paramount Theater, written and performed by Keith Hamilton Cobb, I knew I had to meet her and hear about her work and ask her why telling stories that jar the soul and make us think, make us question our actions, our intentions, matters so much to her. So we're settled into a private screening room here at Arts Emerson's Paramount Center for this up close and personal interview. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. Happy to be here. Tell me about American More, how you connected with Keith Hamilton Cobb to direct this production. Give me a little background. Keith and
2: I have been friends actually for 30 years, and we met as undergrads at New York University, Tisch School of the Arts. About six years ago, he was presenting. American Moor on the Lower East Side through a company called the Phoenix Theater Ensemble. And it was just putting it up on its feet and inviting people to come and see it. So I went. I thought the writing was extraordinary. He's a fabulous actor. And we went to dinner afterwards. And he asked me what I thought. And I told him I thought it was terrific. And then I gave him notes. And then I told him that, you know, I, I thought that this was a really important piece that deserve to be seen by as many people as possible. It was sent around the country for one reason or another. Either people didn't read it or get picked up. It was just, it was a really kind of baffling, I guess you'd say.
1: I actually think the piece was ahead of its time. What year are we talking about here? Like 2013 or something like that? People are talking about this right now. This is described as an urgent solo work examining the experience and perspective of black men in America through the metaphor of William Shakespeare's character, Othello. What is the message of American War? I think at the
2: core, the message is about listening, seeing another person, acknowledging that as a white person, I do not and cannot understand the black experience, but I can educate myself about it. That is also my responsibility. It is not someone else's responsibility to teach me or educate me about it. It's also about humanity, the human experience, compassion for one another, that we are all in this together, that each one of us has our own unique,
1: Relationship to the world and to one another, and that is valid. This is a solo work by your old friend, Keith Hamilton Cobb, and I've read that it has really taken shape and developed over the last five or six years. You just shared that they sent this out to people, it just didn't get picked up, but along the way, he kept on performing it, and so there were developments and changes that were made. How is it today under your direction? What have you offered? to him I think a really good director is also a really good dramaturg and part of our
2: job is to help especially you know with new work to shape it to help the playwright find exactly what it is that they are wanting to stay in the best way to say it over the course of the past five years the piece has gone from being about two hours to 85 minutes so that has entailed a lot of discussions about mm-hmm. edits and really difficult discussions not because it's so much been about holding on to an idea but i actually everything he's written is important yeah so how do you decide what isn't going to be in the piece we're hoping that it's going to get published and what i said to him is we should actually publish all the edits as well so people can see what didn't make it into the script. Being a director, I'm the outside eye. So part of it is about shaping his performance, Yes, what the arc is. It's a raw and emotional performance. It's intense. It's been also about helping him find nuance, guiding him through the emotional ups and downs. The original stage directions of the piece set it in a particular way. And given what we were dealing with in our own getting the piece up and putting it in front of audiences. We didn't have the budget to do that and do that set. So it's morphed, and it's become really this vision that I had, which is about a backstage presence of the actor waiting to audition for the role, being on the stage, so that it really can be done anywhere. And that in part came out of necessity, and we would take it around to places, and I'd walk in, create the composition for the for you just look around and be like you got a couple ladders how about some hampers you know where your road box is and i'd create a composition look up in the grid kind of see what was up there talk about what needed to be focused and we'd run with it so now being at arts emerson it is such a gift we've had incredible support here and we have this beautiful set design by Wilson Chin that has taken sort of my original idea and lifted that up and taken it farther. We've got lighting design by Alan Edwards and sound design by Christian Fredericks, and So it's really, it's really exciting to see it after five years of working on this thing coming into its full being, its full presence.
1: I'm gonna guess that when you're working with the writer who is also the sole performer, You really do need to have a true connection. It must almost be like sharing space in each other's brains sometimes to express the message on stage, to match your visions. But yet, like you said, you have to guide him as the director. Has he been open to that?
2: Oh, very much so. Which doesn't mean that we haven't challenged one another or disagreed. And I should also say, it's a solo show, but there is a second actor. And I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, we've had these very difficult conversations at times in the room where I've had to stop and say, wait a second, I got some stuff coming up. I need to unpack this. And we unpack together and vice versa. My director brain sometimes will kick in on something and he'll say, well, wait a second, because I need you to further explain that I'm not going to just
1: do it. And he's trying to tell a story. That matters to him as well, right? Deeply, deeply, deeply. Let's talk about talent. Okay, Kim, let's talk about star power. In your opinion, Mm -hmm. as a director, what is it?
2: I think that there's a generosity of spirit. I think that generosity of spirit, you can't manufacture it. It is something that is. And we all know it and we're aware of it. We feel it when we're in the presence of it. With actors, it's extraordinary. They ride this very, very fine line between sanity and insanity. And that's actually, I had the privilege of, of studying with Mike Nichols for two years. It's something that he talked a lot about, that that's, that's a, a line that actors ride. So for me, it's somewhat, you can't really define it. And I don't think you can
1: teach it. I think it, it is. One of the things that you love to do the most is teach acting. You've worked at so many incredible colleges, Columbia and Yale, and, and we were talking about Wesleyan in, in Connecticut. When we were coming into this beautiful area, this screening <laughs> area for our interview, there were some Emerson students outside, and they're working on an idea, and you went right over to them, and you're like, now, what are you guys doing? Tell me about your idea. <laughs> I could tell that you're, you're drawn to that.
2: My talking to them comes from a curiosity about what are you thinking about? What are you interested in? Teaching for me, in part, has to do with helping others to find ways to articulate the stories that they are passionate about and the stories that they need to tell and giving them the tools in which to do that. I've had phenomenal teachers and mentors in my life, um, from Ann Bogart to Brian Kulik to Mike Nichols, Paul Sills. All the way back to my, my wee days as a studying ballet at the School of American Ballet, I think a lot about, as a kid, being around Balanchine and Jerome Robbins. At the time, I certainly wasn't consciously thinking about these things, but I think a lot about now how they taught me about space and what it is to, to organize space and tell story through space. Even you look at Balanchine's abstract ballets, for me, there's story there. I look to students as having the power to also create change in the world. Yes. I bet you learn a lot from them, too. I learn so much from them. And they give me hope. They give me hope. (laughs) I mean, I have on more, and my students will say, I have on more than one occasion probably burst into tears at something and been like, oh my gosh,
1: you give me so much hope, so much hope for the world. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your background. You had just mentioned the ballet. Mm -hmm. Let's go way back to the wee years, shall we? Where do you come from? Tell me a little bit about your family. I grew up in
2: Pelham Manor, Westchester. I started studying ballet when I was four. I started in company school at American Ballet Theater when I was seven. I went over and auditioned. My mom took me over to the School of American Ballet to audition for them when I was eight because at ABT they wanted to put me on point when I was seven. Got into SAB, was going to ABT and SAB simultaneously, then spent 10 years at the School of American Ballet studying and performing as a child with New York City Ballet, both in New York, in Wolf Trap, Virginia, and at the Saratoga Performing Arts Center. And then I decided to go to college in part because I loved story. I was really drawn to story ballets as well. When I was 15, I moved into New York City on my own. I had a roommate who was a year older than me and another who was two years older than me, and I was going to professional children's school, and I was surrounded by actors who I thought were the most exotic, fascinating creatures so different from anything I had been exposed to because of also how they were able to use their words. I became really close, best friends with a, an actress named Belina Logan. She just opened my world I was just about way. to say it
1: sounds like your world opened up. I have so many questions. Yeah. Fifteen years old. Yeah. Moving into New York City. Now you're going to the professional school. Professional children's school. And isn't that the school after which the movie Fame was written about?
2: No, as a matter of fact. Tell me. Because that was performing arts. That was LaGuardia, what's known as LaGuardia now, but that was Performing Arts High School. PCS was a private
1: school. But everyone was some kind of a performer, whether it be dance or music. Dance, music, ice skating, artists, novelists, actors. What were the lessons that you learned from having spent so many years as a ballerina that you use now as a director.
0: Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelp Boston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way because if you have a printing problem or whatever and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends, too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com.
2: There's discipline, perseverance. If you want to talk about America more in relationship to that, American more has been such a testament to perseverance and tenacity, to not giving up, to continuing to hone and to work, even when others tell you to stop, I think dance taught me about believing in yourself. Even when I was not a typical Balanchine dancer with a you know super skinnier, super high extension, I was a jumper and a leaper, so I was a different. I was athletic, and yet dance gave me and a great outlet for expressing myself. And joy brought me great joy. This is probably not something that is so PC today, but it also taught me about. Suck it up. <laughs> Just there's not coddling. There's no complaining allowed. Well, there is. You can complain, but you're going to work hard. Yeah. That working hard is not a bad thing, and that sometimes you've got to work hard even when you're tired or you don't you you don't want to, or you think the odds are really against you. I think one of the things I'm able to do, certainly with my students, is offer a place where they do feel safe in taking risks,
1: but I'm also not going to baby them. You talked a little bit about your love of storytelling Mm -hmm. on the stage. Mm -hmm. What makes for a great story, Kim?
2: You know, great, great story for me grabs me, pulls me in. It's the type of, in theater certainly, I find that the stories that I'm drawn to they're engrossing and I enter into and they teach me something or give me something that I may not have been thinking about. They expose me to new ideas. They crack me open emotionally. <gasps> I, I I don't mind being moved when I go to theater. You know, I think... They crack me open. They crack me open. And they crack me open intellectually. Yes. And the kind of theater I love too is the kind of theater where I walk out of their just irrevocably changed and I turn to the person next to me and I say, let's go have a drink and talk. Let's unpack this, you know. And speaking of that,
1: what has the audience reaction been to American More? It's been extraordinary.
2: We've honed this in a certain way is that we're very aware the impact that the piece is having and that we can't just do the piece and leave people with it and say, okay, good night, go, go out, have a, have a good evening. You get to go to the bar and, and talk about it now. What we've learned is we work to create space afterwards, even if there isn't an official talk back. Keith makes himself available for people to talk to him, approach him, because there is so much, whether you are black, White, Latinx, LGBTQ, AI, there is a part of you in this piece. Keith eloquently speaks about the very first time he did the piece at a library in uh, Yonkers. The first person ever to stand up and give him feedback was a young Jewish girl who said, this is my story. Mm. I see myself here. This is me. We are aware that people see themselves, they want to talk about this, and so it's incumbent on us to create space.
1: Give me your definition of a great actor or actress.
2: There's a light that shines, intelligence, deep intelligence, emotional intelligence, you know, intellectual intelligence. I think kindness is a superpower and greatly underrated. Again, that generosity of spirit, a willingness to share and give of oneself, knowing that that is part of that gift of exchange, of connection. Yeah. Connection being so important, especially in this age of technology and what it's doing to all of us and changing how we're communicating with one another. And a great
1: director. You've had role models that you've learned from as well. I think directing is about listening,
2: listening very closely. I believe in listening also to my own body as a barometer and how it's responding to something. In fact, we're in tech here, and I was watching something last night, and my body, like all the bells and whistles were going off. I said, we need to change this, and I want to look at this. And Keith was like, what? But we've been doing it this way for, you know, four or five years. And, and I said, I know, and I haven't had a chance, and this is my chance now. I know that this is the right thing to do, and we have to pursue this. So, of course, it was better. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because you're the director, and you yeah. were right about that. Yeah. But, I, but it is, it's about listening. You know, when we first sat down to talk with one another, we were talking a little bit about London mm. and you just came from there with this incredible play. How is it received there? We've been to London twice in the past year.
2: Last year we were at Shakespeare's Globe London and we were at the opening performance for their first ever Shakespeare and Race Symposium. That was extraordinary. It was a week-long event. Preparing to go there was quite interesting because everybody here in America was telling us now You have to prepare yourselves. You're Americans. You're going over there. You're doing Shakespeare. They're not going to like you. They're not going to like that you're coming over and you're telling them about Othello. You know the standing ovations that you've been getting. They don't do that. They just are not going to do that there. We do the show. We're in the Sam Wanamaker Theater, which is this gorgeous, beautiful restoration era. Theater, small, intimate, wood, lit by candles magical, absolutely magical, stunning space and very intimate, about two minutes into the piece, there's a reference made. There's something that happens. We know that if the audience laughs with us, we've got them. It's, it's one of the touchstones. And boy, did they laugh. The other thing was every reference to Shakespeare, he literally had to say one word or two words and they got it immediately immediately whereas in the states it's been like three to five words we were off and running and it was thrilling and the energy was so exciting you know we get to the end of it and I'm I'm sort of bracing myself because I'm thinking oh okay just it's it's been a fabulous show this has been monumental in so many ways for both Keith and me and Josh it has felt like a a homecoming in, in a certain way Keith exits the stage They're clapping And they're clapping pretty loudly And he walks through these doors These double doors And they just erupt Everyone leaps to their feet Bravo's happening And it's just this extraordinary moment The look on Keith's face I think all of us were We were pretty stunned In in a very humbling, humbling way There was someone from The American School in London Who was there for that performance And ran after Keith and said, I need my students to see this. My 10th graders, they really, really need to see this show. Would you consider coming back? So that's been in the works since last August, and we were just there. We did two performances at the American School. We did one for adults on a Sunday evening, which was terrific, and there was a great talk back afterwards. The next day in the afternoon was for these 10th graders, and I think it was about 150 10th graders sharing something with them that they have not had a lot of contact with in terms of the American perspective of race. And one of the things we were told was that these students are very international. They speak multiple languages. They're not culturally American. Keith spent uh, the next two to three days in the classroom with them and talking to them all
1: about this and changing lives one day at a time. You know, watching the joy on your face when you talk about the standing ovation (laughs) and the experience that Keith had when he walked through those double doors gives me a little glimpse of how much you love what you do. I never in a million years
2: thought that I would be doing this. I really didn't. And sometimes I wonder, how did this happen? For me, the journey was I loved teaching and I knew in order to teach at the level I wanted to teach at, I needed an MFA. So I actually applied to graduate school never having directed a play. Once I started studying directing at Columbia, it took everything that I had been doing up until that point in my life. And I went to graduate school later in life and it just brought it together in a, in a perfect storm. So I love being in rehearsal. I love being in tech. That moment that you're talking about in terms of seeing Keith, Was also the culmination of believing in somebody, Mm -hmm. believing in an artist, and a writer who has something really important to say, and seeing
1: the response, my heart burst open in that moment. Do you think that we all have chapters in our lives? Because I'm looking at the ballet chapter for Kim. I'm looking at the, I'm leaving home and I'm going to live in New York City at 15. I meet all these actors and actresses. And then you you take a sharp left-hand turn and end up becoming a director. Do you think we have chapters? I do. I do. That's
2: an easy way to think about them. I think that life, if you're open to yourself and your interests and your curiosity, and if you follow your curiosity, that will sustain you in a great way. I talk to my students a lot about that, too. But I also think that, for me, there's a question. I can see it in my work, too. There's this one question that I'm always asking with my work, and it has multiple different answers. And that really is what is love. For me, when I am 94 and I look back on my life and I look back on the work that I've made and people I have have in my life and all of that, I think that that's the tapestry. That's the, the big tapestry. <laughs> where what is love will be the question in the middle and then it'll be all of
1: these other threads around it. It leads me to my final question, mm-hmm. which is... At this moment in your life, then how do you define success? And how close are you to figuring out what is love? For a long time, I let others define
2: success for me. I think for a long time, I looked outside of myself for what is success. I remember very clearly, nine years ago, being in my apartment in New York, and sitting and thinking about where I had been in my life, where I was, and where I might want to go. And in that moment, this voice came through me, which really was, you have to define success for yourself. For me, I'm very aware of a celebrity culture that we live in and awards and things like that. What I know at the end of the day is making connections with people, impacting young people. I don't define success in terms of money. I
1: think I just define success in terms of the size and largesse of spirit. I want to say thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It was so inspiring to hear your backstory so that our listeners can know more about you. The production is called American More. It's directed by Kim Weald. The star is Keith Hamilton Cobb, and we wish you all the best with this production and with everything you do with your life. Thank you so much, Candy. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you if you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C A N D Y O T E R R Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?